You are listening to Billionaires in Boxes, the number one podcast publicist for businesses globally. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes with me, your host, as always, Phil Paluccia. I am joined today by Brandon Cullen. Brandon is an awesome dude. I'm looking forward to introducing you to him. He is the the genius. Can I call him that? Let's call him the genius. The genius behind Metabolic, a name that you will certainly be hearing a lot more of in the coming weeks, months, and years as it dominates more and more of this market. So really excited to have you here, brother. Welcome. Yeah, thanks. I'm looking forward to it very much. Good man. Yeah, me too. This is going to be a lot of fun. So just for our listeners who haven't come across you yet, do you want to just kind of give us a sort of 30, 60 second introduction to, to who you are and what you do, brother? Yeah, me on a personal level. Um, mm. So I uh, grew up in Canada. Um, I played, I tried to grind it out in the minor leagues playing hockey. I eventually found myself in Charlotte, North Carolina, underneath the... Um, the New York Rangers farm system at the time. And uh, fitness was a big part of my career. I, I like to say it like let me, allowed me to be a little bit more relevant in a sport that I would just kind of average at. So yeah. transitioning into fitness after the career, um, I don't want to say it was easy, but it did make sense. You know, I, I had already, uh, I had built my career on it. I had trained people as uh, passive income in my off season. So uh, once uh, the career was over, I partnered with a teammate and we started a company that is now known uh, as Metabolic. I love it, man. I love it. And we'll, we'll dive into that background in a bit more detail just before we get going. But that's actually how, why I think you and I resonated so well together is both having come from that sports career that never quite made it uh, almost but not quite um but Absolutely. also the also the understanding of the the role that fitness plays in that um you know there are there's almost the gym culture isn't there of the people who like to go to the gym but in that world of sport it's a uh, it's part of the process it's part of the conditioning and the strengthening you go in you do your stuff you go out yeah, I agree. And um, it's it's also something we leverage now in business. Um, we actually, um, we look at building a single unit, building our franchise team and our system. We, we take that kind of team atmosphere into play and we take it pretty far, like everything from hiring to um, who you may bring on in the future to complement that team. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, it's weird. I, I, I never, uh, I never went through college. So I came up through amateur into professional leagues. And, um, even though I may not, you know, always recommend that path for anybody, I think that aspect of being on a team sport, it, it really does translate well into uh, business and specifically entrepreneurship. I agree wholeheartedly i mean as my listeners will know uh, over many years of listening to me talk about this i always say business is a team sport and it's like you you can be really good at your bit but actually i've seen many very talented people just as i've seen very many talented players who never lived up to their potential because they weren't surrounded by people who complimented them and were just as good at their bit so i'm fully with you absolutely at yeah, I agree 100%, especially, um, you know, our two sports. So I always find it very interesting. Um, I played hockey, you played soccer. And mm -hmm. if you compare it even to American football versus uh, even like basketball. So what I love about our two sports is a 
a well-executed game plan, you know, can really can beat individual talent. And I always, I love to kind of reference that, you know, um, even when, uh, when LeBron James decided to win the NBA championship that year, he went and won the NBA championship where you could have the the LeBron James in soccer or hockey, where a well-executed game plan uh, from the opposing team can shut that player down. I think there's something beautiful about that. Mm, for sure. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a big Liverpool fan, so I, I I can think of two occasions just off the top of my head. Obviously, one of them being the the Champions League final of 2005 against AC Milan, who at the time had you know arguably the best squad in Europe. They were like superstar after superstar after superstar. I mean, you read that team sheet and you got nervous ahead of the game. Liverpool, you know, with all due respect to the players who won it in 2005, we probably had. Let's be let's be generous and say three world class players in that starting eleven, uh, for, surrounded by some okay players. Some players coming towards their end of their career. Some players were kind of they're all right, but they're nothing to kind of get particularly excited about. And we ended up we ended up being three 0 down at halftime, and we ended up winning the the trophy. We won the competition in the final, right? And it was just because the manager was the greatest tactician I think I've come across in sport. Like the guy at the time was on top of his game, right? And even more recently than that, I don't know if you remember a couple of seasons ago when Liverpool were on their way to to winning the Champions League in Madrid. Um, we had to play Barcelona and we lost to Barcelona at the Camp Nou and we, we lost quite badly. And the only way for us to progress through to, I think it, if it wasn't the final, it was the semi-final, right? The only way for us to progress through was a 4-0 win against Barcelona. A oh, side wow. that is like, the 4-0 win is not happening, right? And I was at that game and we won 4-0. And oh my God. the tactics were on point, right? Everything was perfect that night. But if I if I put those teams side by side, I would still say that they had the better squad at that time. That's awesome. I mean, that's just a good story. That's a great story. But, sure. it, but it happens in business, right? I mean, how many how many times have we seen this now where a collaboration of key people coming together can really kind of break down the larger establishment? I mean, if you want to look at it as a, a great example outside of sport, look at Netflix and Blockbuster. You know, Netflix at the time, I don't know if you remember how they first started, but it was that mailing service of DVDs, right? Uh, and there was a few people together kind of like, look, we've got a DVD collection. You've got a posted service. You've got a marketing. Why don't we come together and create this? thing and then they took it to blockbuster and said look we want to however many million something very reasonable to buy this and blockbuster said no no nobody's going to want to do it that way everyone likes coming into our stores picking it out for themselves getting their stale popcorn and going home again um i just i just read a book i think the price tag was two million dollars that blockbuster could have bought netflix at the start of that which is crazy to think about it's incredible it's chump change for businesses like that absolute chump change and it wasn't that it wasn't affordable it wasn't that it wasn't the value it was that they genuinely didn't believe that that's the way the market was going they almost became so arrogant it was like well we've created this and this is the way it's gonna go now and um, yeah, a group of people came together and, and said, fine, we'll do it without you. And now look at them. Look at them both. Very interesting. And there's some parallels to that in the fitness world right now. I know a lot of people are <clears throat> riding this digital push when we're maybe, hey, maybe this will bite me in the ass in a few years. But uh, I, I, I don't so. think the brick and mortar is going anywhere. And we're no. already seeing it, to be honest. Um, you know, the idea that some of the 
professional driven fitness brick and mortar products are already above 80, 90% where they were before COVID. So I'm sure we maybe get into that at some point. Well, actually, I, I saw a poll on LinkedIn a few weeks ago and somebody was saying, we're about to end leave lockdown in the UK. What are you most excited about? Was it going to the gym? Was it um, going to a restaurant or was it going to a pub? And I expected everyone to say the pub. <laughs> to be really honest. And actually, really high percentage was the gym. It was like, I'm looking forward to getting back in the gym. I'm looking forward to getting back into my fitness routine, getting back in and, and, you know, and they've had access to all of this digital stuff, you know, but there's, there's a, you and I both know that having somebody around you, motivating you, supporting you, you get that extra work done in your workout. And it's that extra work that does the good. Yeah. And I also think you said a real key word there, routine, Um, especially with, um, the clients we seem to work with call it, uh, 25 to 45, 50 year old, um, high performers, business professionals, like Mm -hmm. they are busy people, uh, where being able to show up on location, not have to think about anything for that one hour of your day and just allow someone to put you through the paces. There's a lot of value to routine in the, uh, the business professional. I think, even that mental health aspect of it, that one hour release, um, there's a lot of benefits outside of fitness that I think a, a gym or social community provides that people are excited to get back into their daily habits, the positive ones, hopefully. I agree. No, completely. And I think we've all been so cooked up in our homes that this is, this is the perfect time. So I I am in full agreement with you. I love digital as you know, I do, but I also feel that there is a place for digital and there's a place for in-person. I mean, I'm, I'm also looking forward to getting back to things like in-person exhibitions and events. I love the ability to a few times a year, meet up with people that I'm working with on a regular basis, but now we get to go and see each other face to face. We get to do some conferences together, go to dinner together, play some golf together. Like, I, I've missed yeah. these people. Like, it might sound like a cheesy thing to say, but I've even missed hugging people. I've missed being able to go and give people a hug and say, you know, I've missed Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for me, live music, like, I can't oh. get back to see a live show quick enough. I mean, it, it, <clears throat> music's kind of my religion that is my uh, my release so i can't wait to be in a crowd of people again um seeing uh someone perform on stage i love that have you got one in mind any being planned at the moment um no because it seems like no one can pull the trigger but i can tell you the second uh the thing that you know we are in the states obviously so there there are some states that are opening a lot more aggressively and uh, the bulk of our people are vaccinated at this mm-hmm. point that I know of. Yeah. Um, I, I even had that Johnson & Johnson one a few days back. Uh, and now they're announcing, which uh, <laughs> they may be pulling it off, off the oh, shelf. No. But whatever. Uh, where, where I was going with that is I will be traveling sometime soon to another state to see some live music. You can bet on that. Yeah. You must, dude. You absolutely must. Um, okay, look, I want to really kind of dive into, there's all kinds of questions I have. Like we want to talk about why the franchise model instead of a licensee model, what the plans are for the future. But I really want to kind of take this right back at the, to the beginning. So you've left that sporting world. You've gone into the world of fitness. Tell me how Metabolic was born. 
Um, so we, we jumped off into a lot of different modalities of strength and conditioning. <clears throat> this was at the, the start of the CrossFit um, introduction before the boom. There was also kind of this big divide in training high-level athletes and then what you would find at your local uh, YMCA or big box kind of gym. And there was a massive piece in the middle where people were past their sport. Think of you when you had you'd aged out of your sport or we aged out because of our injuries out of your sport. You, def- you definitely didn't want to compete, but you did want that camaraderie of being in a structured training kind of like environment. So, you know, you had two ends of the spectrum. You had very sports specific training and that's what CrossFit uh, became, right? Mm-hmm. You had these top, top athletes, the one, per- not even the 1%, way under the 1%. And then you had um, what you would find like boot camp style athletic conditioning at your YMCA. You had nothing really in the middle. And you also did not have this boom of boutique fitness. So the Orange Theories, the F45s, like the big players that are out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so us, we thought about you know, what was beneficial in our hockey careers that were not in programs that uh, we were seeing on the sports specific side of things and also on the um, the other end of the spectrum. So uh, we started building out this hybrid in the middle. That was a strength bias interval training program. And strength bias was kind of a key word there mm. um, because even like these, even these very good brands, the Orange Theories, the F45s, the, the truth is, is they are a lot more closer to them to that athletic conditioning product you would have found in your YMCA that they've wrapped into a beautiful sellable brand at that point. But as far as like very um, strength bias athletic training for the masses, that did not exist. And it still doesn't exist on the scale that we would like to take it to. And I think that's like our, our big opportunity right now. So it started off as a simple conversation with my partner saying things like, does the everyday person need this type of stress on their body? Is the barbell necessary for true health and wellness? Um, do we need as, how do we sell that you don't need as much cardio as the boutique world thinks? And where do we find this giving the client what enough of what they want driven by pop culture, but also enough of what they need to make sure that you're producing results to create um, a longstanding relationship with them. So having them for two to three years versus a few months. And I mean, it's weird. It sounds like a common sense conversation, but I love our industry, but there's a lot of common sense missing in the fitness industry. And I hope that doesn't come off as too rude, everybody. I I think we can be better on what we uh, push on the public. I don't think that's, that's rude. I think it's quite accurate. I mean, even from a, even from my perspective, one of the things that I really found, and you mentioned the word just there was everything was so cardio based. It was like cardio, 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 just the whole time. And it's like cardio was a fraction of what we do it's one of the steps of what we do it's not the whole thing right it's not just blast your body with cardio you know four or five hours a day it's like what's this about and it's 
And then you see people who get this completely wrong as well in terms of their fitness and conditioning. I mean, we can all picture the guys who have no neck, huge shoulders, and really skinny legs because they skip leg day, right? It's like, <laughs> you've, got, you've got to get this right. And they're kind of like, well, this, I'm just working on my arms and my shoulders, and that's it. And there's nobody there to really say to them, actually, the, the way to do this is to have a balance. It's the same with diets, right? You see like fad diets starting all the time. And it's like, actually, a good healthy, balanced diet is going to be far better for you than having a month of eating whatever the hell you want and then just eating cabbage soup for a month and then drinking loads of water. That's it's not a balance. Like You have to get this right. Yeah, and you said a couple of real good things there. I think, um, I think for about a decade, we've been kicking the shit out of ourselves, um, not only in like business, the way we're working, especially in North America, um, but also the way that kind of fitness was pushed in an, in an excessive way. Um, you know, if you have a, a product or a trainer that is telling you, you need to be doing something hundred miles an hour, seven days a week, you know, I think that's a, a real bad message to be sending. Um, we promote a four to five day a week, uh, training schedule with a lot of recovery. So you are able to maintain, um, growth and I don't mean growth and muscles. I mean, progress in your health and wellness journey. The other thing you said about cardio that is real important, there's there's this misconception as you age, we got to protect the heart. We got to keep the cardio going and cardio. You can get your heart can beat. There's your cardio, right? Mm -hmm. By doing a lot of things. Um, but the truth is, is we have, as we get older, we have gravity pushing us down Mm -hmm. and it's, the resistance training that I like to say keeps you upright. You know, mm -hmm. men, we, we start losing testosterone. Um, once we get over 30 women experience, uh, bone density issues, and it's not cardio that helps, um, add vitality back into your life. It's pushing back. It's resistance mm -hmm. training. And I think that's, that's a big distinguishing factor to what we offer. It's just a little tough to educate the consumer based on some of the shit that we are given um, in pop culture. You know? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I think that's, if I, that, I don't think that's just unique to fitness either. I think that, you know, um, if I use, let's go back to the analogy we used before. I think Blockbuster were very good at giving out advertising campaigns to say it's Friday night, you know, come down, order your pizza get your DVD or your video, get your popcorn, go home and watch it and then drop it back in on the box on the way back. That was what they were showing you your Friday night should look like. And then suddenly Netflix came along and they kind of almost had to say, hey, you don't have to go to the store. You know, you can just do this straight here. And yep. and there was, I mean, I've seen many companies go broke trying to educate their market. And it's because they're constantly pushing against something that's not there. So it's the educate and conversion piece that's important. And I think, what you've done is is found a really unique place here within the market that you, I don't think you you don't just need to educate people. I think what you've done is you've identified that gap in the market where there are enough people in that space who are going to appreciate what it is that you do and why it is that you're doing it. As you said, they've come out of that competitive environment. They've they've been there, done that, but they don't want to be somewhere so competitive anymore. But they also don't just want to be going down to their local twenty four seven gym and you know just running on the treadmills and, and beasting the cardio. Yeah, and the other thing too is even if you remove so one of the mistakes I made 
trying to educate the consumer is I use the word athlete in a lot of our branding, you know, and, uh, and what we had found is the, the go-getter, the high performer, that might be an attorney, that might be someone on a trading floor, yeah, that might yeah. be an entrepreneur that, that was not an athlete. And we had a huge miss there saying an athlete because what we are seeing is the individual that is a little bit more type A, that value structure, that kind of demands results and will pay for quality, mm-hmm. that is our consumer. It's, mm-hmm. it's not an athlete. It's not a, ba- a body type. It's a mindset of someone who really values structure and accountability. And I think I made the, I made a big miss early on using that term, everyday athlete. And people were like, whoa, I'm not an athlete. I'm not an athlete. Like, and, I, mm-hmm. and that was yeah, a big man. miss. But you know what? I guess you don't know until after the fact. That's true. I mean, there's, there's two things that I've I've always learned about marketing and, and it's it's something that you've just exactly explained it. And I had learned it the hard way too, right? The first one is don't ever expect anybody to do anything you haven't asked them to do. And that's a big one. And the second one is don't just assume because what you do can work for somebody that unless they can see somebody like them doing it, they're going to jump on too. Because what they'll do is they'll hear what you're saying. They'll look at your stuff and they'll go... <clears throat> Brandon's really onto something there. Metabolic sounds awesome. If only they did something like that for high-powered executives rather than athletes. And now they they like what you do, but now they've gone off looking for a version of what you do that matches what who they are. And actually, they're your perfect customer. But because you've used that word, you, they've, they've ruled themselves out. Absolutely. And you know the, a good analogy I like to use, and, and number one, guess what? I'm for getting everybody moving. So you might not be a metabolic person and maybe, um, maybe the orange theory is your thing. Maybe you like yoga, maybe you like, um, hiking as long as you are moving, I'm all for that. And one of the analogies I think that I've been using, um, I just see this interesting parallel right now. So I think in the boutique fitness industry right now, we have pretty much guerrilla marketing firms that are very, very good. at looking good mm. and they're very good for the average everyday person. And, and um, there's a huge place for that. It's a much bigger market than even we are going after. Right. But there is a market for other things. And um, if you think of like Dunkin' Donuts kind of coffee, right. So obviously it's a powerful brand. It's on every corner in America. Yep. And it's doing really well. And a lot of people drink Dunkin's, right? America runs on Dunkin's, I think, is their slogan. But if you like really good coffee, you you don't go to Dunkin's, I would say. I mean, you search out that person that makes the perfect cup of coffee to start your day with. And I feel like that's the space we are trying to find and trying to build and trying to carve out in the strength and conditioning world, there's a lot of Dunkin' Donuts around, mm. but um, we're trying to find if you are in a certain city and a metabolic exists, you will go find the best workout in your city. Have you um, have you heard of a, a brand called uh, the Gourmet Burger Kitchen? No. But they're awesome, right? Now, they did exactly that. So essentially, it's a burger and fries, right? <laughs> like it's, a, it, it's, it's the same kind of stuff that you could get at a McDonald's or, or, or a Burger King. Major difference being that they're saying, look, if you want a quick 
mass-produced burger, then you go to a McDonald's or you go to a Burger King. But if you want to spend a little bit extra and get a gourmet handcrafted burger and a nicely topped bun and fresh salad and you know hand cut fries whether that's sweet potato or whether that's you know whatever right that, then you come to us but they put they had to put themselves in that different market because if you try and go up against mcdonald's or burger king with burgers like good luck to you right yeah, exactly. but what they couldn't do is mcdonald's can't offer that that next level up service and there's nothing wrong with a quick mcdonald's from time to time i mean it tastes like cardboard but that's the story for another day right <laughs> it's it's the um, i might get sued for that Sorry, McDonald's. Um, I like your McFlurries, if that's any help. Um, but the, the well, I like them because they found that space and they they didn't try to play small. They didn't try and they they deliberately were like, look, McDonald's are charging six, seven bucks for a burger. You know, five guys are charging you know slightly more. We're going to go even higher than that because we're the level above that. That's not who we are. We're not that market. Yeah, and let me say, uh, <clears throat> average is done really, really well. Mm. And average is very, very competitive. I don't, I personally, to go compete in the world of average, I think is very challenging. And for the people that do it real, real well, they impress me with the level of scale they can do it at. I've just found it a lot easier than to like, to find a thousand clients in a city like Charlotte we are in versus to target 300 high performers that are going to be with you for two to three years. I feel a lot more comfortable going after that consumer. But with that being said, and I, you know, whoever's listening, as long as if you're in my world and something is getting you moving, that is great. Yeah. If you want to look at being a great version of yourself, I think we do a pretty damn good job. Yeah, I like that because it's it's very much a look. I'm not telling you those other guys are wrong. I'm just, I'm, in fact, if that's working for you, kudos to you. I'm really pleased. I'm telling you, if you feel like something is missing and you're that high performance person, business, life, mindset, whatever, and you feel that that's missing from your current workout, then we're the people you should be talking to. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I love that, dude. I love it. Um, We'll get on to kind of where, where you're going with this because that's how we ended up working together and there's some very exciting stuff happening for you. But I am curious to talk to you about that um, franchise versus licensee model because I know that's a discussion that a lot of people have had. It's an age-old discussion. Um, I actually listened to a podcast you did with a friend of yours um, where you actually had that debate as to which way because you each went a separate way and I thought that was fascinating. So in fact, I'll stick a link to that in the show notes below if anybody wants to go and check that out. But Talk to me about the thought process and kind of how you came to that decision. Did you, were you kind of set on one or did somebody kind of show you the evidence or were you guided by that? How, how did that all come about? So it started with six months into trying this new product that eventually became metabolic. Uh, we knew we were on to something. Um, it, it caught fire in a very competitive market already. And we were reaching a different consumer. So early on, we had a lot of weird opportunities and offers where someone would say, hey, do you mind, would you sell me the rights to do metabolic in my gym, Uh, which would have been more of a licensing model. And we said, you know, not, not in our own market. That doesn't seem to make sense. And then people started asking, well, if we were to move to this market, would you ever consider doing a corporate store in this market? So then you're thinking of two young entrepreneurs 
and and thinking of capital in general, we're like, oh my God, like signing another lease, doing another personal guarantee. We don't really know these people. Do we want to partner? Right. And eventually we were put in contact with a consulting firm out of uh, San Diego that walked us through the franchising model. We weighed against the type of structure and turnkey operation you could provide in this franchise model. Um, Not so much micromanaging, but being able to definitely control the product and the delivery, which didn't exist in this licensing model. And I think watching the rise and fall of CrossFit was a good... um, understanding because at the end of the day you bought the word you had no ownership to the education to the on-ramping to the help with real estate and we saw this where say you had a hundred locations maybe five of them were good and 95 of them were just average but you're under this one banner so i think for us when you thought of us wanting to control what our deliverables, what we offered and what we put out on the floor. Also with the capital constraints at the time to go corporately owned, we never, and that was probably a better way to answer it. We never considered licensing because of what we couldn't control. We did consider corporately owning. And then we just realized the ability to scale at that point um, would have been more difficult. And early on too, I, I recognized early that I wasn't a great manager, if that makes sense. And I know this is a tough thing for people to admit to. I, I think I've been a, a natural kind of leader so I can inspire and show where I want to go with the product and I can get people around me to support that that goal. But learning how to manage different people, different personalities from afar was a very challenging thing for me. Um, because crazy thing, Phil, but I found out that not everybody thinks like Brandon. And that was a big learning <laughs> curve early <laughs> on, right? <laughs> so learning that people have different backgrounds, different family dynamics, different yeah. goals in life, different this. I couldn't thrust my own desires and wants on a different person. And that was a that was a huge thing to learn early on where the franchising model allowed you to inspire and provide structure and provide the deliverables, but also allowed the franchisor or franchisee, sorry, to run their own business, if that makes sense. You know what that sounds like to me? Going back to the sports stuff, you're a captain, not a coach. You know, you, you can inspire them on the rink or on the field, but that kind of leading from the dugout, you know, writing these things and saying, here's how we're going to do it, boys, off you go and do it. That sounds like a different skill set. And actually, I think that corporate growth would have been exactly that. You have to be the CEO, right? You have to wear that hat and be able to give this information so that people kind of go off. And, and there has to be an element of trust in that as well. Like you can't. I'm not saying you micromanage at all, but you can't micromanage as a CEO. You have to entrust people that they're going to go and do this in the way that you want it to be executed. And like you just said, people have different different thoughts, different feelings, different approaches, right? Whereas by taking the franchise route, what you're essentially doing is you're adding teammates to your team. You're bringing people who have their ideas, yes, but as the captain of that team, you're the one that's saying, guys, this is how we're going to do it. Well, I say guys, guys and girls, this is how we're going to do it. This is the approach we're going to take. And 
And I think what you're going to do there as well is you're going to attract a very different type of person that you would have done going that corporate route. Um, there's a big difference between a business owner and a business manager. You know, one person is employed and one's that entrepreneurial person with that spark. And even from the time that we've spent together um, over the last few weeks, uh, I see that you resonate with that entrepreneurial spark. You, you know, the people who need you know, hand holding, spoon feeding. It's like, well, why didn't you do that? And it's like, because nobody told me to. It's like that that doesn't wash with you. It's like, well, wait, you know, we're giving you the motivation and the inspiration. You need to grab that, get excited, just as excited as I am with it, and then we'll run together. Yeah, and I think that was um, you know, learning how to uh leverage people's strengths versus trying to mold them into something they aren't is something that, yeah, I think it's something that naturally happens in the franchise world because the franchisee, like that community to a degree takes on the life of their, their team, you know, but uh, early on, I think that was the classic mistake is instead of just, um, leveraging my strengths as a leader, I tried to turn myself into a manager. And once we were able to just, you know, put the right people in the right places you know we have a you know and i'm talking about myself seven eight years ago now and now we actually have that structure of a well-oiled machine behind the the franchising system that has the managers in place it has all the roles filled um so yeah not always easy to admit to but you know i'm a big believer in i'm a huge believer and i think there's this uh there's this crave to be this well-balanced balanced individual as a, as a human, as a, as a skill set and a business owner. And, and I get that on the human level side of things like, you know, in your spare time, make yourself a little bit more well-rounded, but in the business world, you know, kind of exhausting your true natural potential. I think sometimes people don't do that enough. Like, mm. like, like go, go be great at, at something versus uh, just average at a lot of things. Oh, but, but that's, the, that's our education system that taught us that, right? Because if you were getting an A in one class or two classes and then like doing really terrible in the rest of them, you'd be getting hauled into the principal's office and your parents would be getting called in and they were like, he's failing in all these classes except these two. But that's not how life and business works. Business is about being able to be really good at the bit that you're good at, continually growing and improving on that so that you can go from being good to being great and surrounding yourself with people who are just as good at their bit and you complement each other together yeah it's a loss it's a lot less exhausting to try to micromanage every step of the way i mean do you know what i I actually a few years ago tell you a funny story a few years ago i was sat watching a youtube video it's a true story watching a four-hour youtube video on how to create a wordpress site and i'm going through step by step trying to do this i thought what am I doing? <laughs> this is such a dumb idea. So I messaged two people that were really good at creating WordPress sites. And I said, look, I don't have the funds to pay you right now. But what I am really good at is this bit. Why don't we work out some sort of a trade? Why don't we work out some sort of a barter? I'll help you with your bit. And they came back and bit my hand off. And were like, well, actually, you know, we've got templates that we can use. Getting you up and running is really quick. We can sort your SEO out, no problem. And if you could recommend us to some people that you know and get us booked on some shows and get us some media, that's perfect for us. Because actually, our problem isn't that we're not good at what we do. We're great at what we do. Our problem is that not enough people know about us in our space, so they're not making a beeline for us. I was like, well, that's the bit I'm great at. I'm the stage and the spotlight, right? So it, it was doing that partnership. And um, 
that that for me was a real game changer at that point because I realized that, you know, if in sports, if I ever wanted to get good at a particular thing, I'd go and talk to the person who is best at doing that in my team. You know, I'd say, you know, the the coach has said I've got to get back for corners and help clear the ball more. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a winger. I don't know anything about clearing the ball. Where should I stand? What should I do? And I would learn more from the central defenders teaching me than I would from the coaches because they'd say, oh, I need you here because I'm going to be here and this is really the channel I'm running. So I need you to be here and block his run. It's like, oh, I can do that. I know exactly how to do that. So that instruction was key. Um, And it's funny. We're talking about franchises, particularly US franchises, right? So... I learned a lot years ago about franchises in the US by watching Undercover Boss, right? And and that sounds crazy thing to say, but I got to see what worked well in a franchise and what didn't work well in a franchise just from that show because the owners would go out and they'd have people saying, well, you know, corporate don't say anything to us. They send us this marketing material. It's not relevant for our local area. We make suggestions and we don't hear back. And you start going, okay, so there's a communication channel there. You need a brainstorming, a brainstorming platform where all of these people can come together and contribute. And why would you not want to hear their ideas? And you'd have that, right? You'd have the CEO. Of, I remember like one in particular, like, it was the Philly Pretzel Company. And the, the CEO of the Philly Pretzel Company is talking to this guy. And he's like, you know, we make... um. A, a sandwich he said we make it with the sub we said we basically make it with the pretzel bread and he said and then we put the filling inside and he said and that's one of our biggest sellers he said but it's not on corporate and he said because i can't get them to listen to my ideas and the ceo was like like that's a really good idea why isn't that getting rolled across everything like nobody's even mentioned this to me and it's because okay. they have a team centrally that come up with all the recipes and tell them what they're allowed to do and what they're not but it's a one-way channel they're telling their franchisees, listen, this is what you've got to do. They're not really allowing the information to flow back the other way. And, and doesn't that just seem criminal to you that the people who are on the ground floor experiencing this, getting the feedback are the ones who you're not listening to? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> there's two ways to look at it. Uh, so as a franchisor, here's the best. And this is a poor example. We're bringing McDonald's back into the, uh, the conversation, <laughs> but as a franchisor, you obviously have to offer the Big Mac in every market. So sometimes you do get um, <clears throat> a lazy complaint saying, you know, the Big Mac just doesn't seem to be working in um, this market. That's not exactly true. But listening to the local consumer, you know, uh, uh, here's an interesting example. Um, so, for instance, your logos are going to look the same. Your colors are going to look the same. Your space is going to look the same. The product you are giving needs to look the same. You need to have a certain level of control of your deliverables. But think about something like this. Um, I was just in um, a new location opening in Florida, Jupiter, which is more of a suburban uh, place in Florida versus, say, a Miami or, say, a Fort Lauderdale. And they they were talking about the music selection. And we went through how to find the non-explicit version of some of the very um, gnarly side of rap, I would say. So we were walking through uh, how to leverage Spotify and finding the clean playlist to do this because they believe their consumer would be less open to a real aggressive form of rap. So, you're, yeah, you're still going to get the same product, right? But listening to that local consumer of what is going to either turn them on or turn them off is something you do have to do. And that's, we try to do a system wide call at least once a month where 
it usually starts off with about 15 minutes of announcements followed by 30 to 45 minutes of open conversation. And that's where you get a lot of interesting ideas on what about this promotion? Have you ever thought about this style of music? Sharing your best practice as well. Yeah. Yeah. And they're they're very, they're never about, Hey, this workout isn't working. It's like, what do we think about this t-shirt in the lobby or this type of water in the fridge? And what about this kind of music? So I think it's a, especially in the franchise, in the franchise world, you want to pick your battles with mm-hmm. your franchisees. Like you definitely want to deliver a consistent product, but you do want to be open to the local conversation. But isn't that fascinating though? So could you imagine the frustration using that that store in Jupiter that we're talking about, the, the, the unit there? Imagine how frustrating that would have been from a board level, six, 12 months down the line to be looking at the numbers going, they're doing everything the same as everybody else, but it's not working. And we go on why that is, only to discover that the clientele aren't going anymore because they're turned off by the music. They don't like the explicit music that's going on, so they're not going. So everything else was perfect except mm-hmm. for the music, and that was causing them the problem, so they left. And here's another interesting <clears throat> advantage, I think, that we have, right? To, to go back to that comparison I used of targeting average or generic offerings. When you go after an average, a big blanket average, there are a lot of people that you have to consider, you know, in a gym, in a gym world, it's explicit or non-explicit music. Is it daycare or not daycare? Is it this or that? When you go after who we do, a high performer, mm-hmm. 25 to 45 year old business professional in any market in North America right now, mm-hmm. the interesting thing is we could be in a pretty sleepy market in the Carolinas to find 300 of the high performers in that market. It takes care of a lot of the things like I don't want to hear swearing in my music because it's you're not really hitting an average, if that makes Correct. sense. So yeah, I, I find uh, I find we have a little bit of an advantage versus someone who plays a volume game that has a lot of personalities that they have to um, think about. They have to keep a lot more people happy, don't they? A lot more different personality types happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way of looking at it. not really thought of that. And actually, it's, it, it helps you to become much better at what you do as well because you can the the feedback that you get and the you know the 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 customer experience journey that they go on just becomes more and more improved because everybody who's working with you is your type of person so if the feedback is coming from them you know this is this is feedback worth listening to whereas you know not all feedback is created equal, right? If you if you're if you're trying to service like a thousand different personality types and you're getting some feedback, it might just be that that portion of the market it isn't right for. But are you going to change everything you do because you're getting a handful of you know bits of feedback in that one area? No, but if you've got a really targeted audience and you're hearing that message repeatedly, you start going, okay, there's something to this. We need to have this conversation. Yeah, and that's the best example. So we use a uh, software called Listen360 to trap our net promoter score. And um, system-wide, which I'm really proud about, I think we're above 92% right now, which is kind of like, yeah, it's kind of unheard of. So like you said, if you get a... I'll stay on, I'll use music as to stay on the example. So you get feedback that I'm really put off by this music. Um, you know, I wish it would be non-explicit. 
And then you look at the consumer that made this and maybe they are 45 years old in a sleepier community that's outside of your target demographic, you would definitely respectfully respond to this person and, and, and like, you're not going to ignore the feedback. You're going to address them. You're going to make sure that they are heard, but will you change that based on the other thousand comments you have on how great the music is? Probably not, but you're also not going to be an ass, right? Yeah, absolutely. I no, agree with you. There, I, I love sure. you, dude. Makes a lot of sense. Um, listen, we're getting to the end. You and I could go for days, but I, I wanted to ask you, um, we've talked about the the kind of person who should come to the gym, as in the kind of person who should be looking for their, their local metabolic gym. But what about those who should be leading these franchises that should be picking up these units and the people that are listening to this going, you know, he's so right. There's a gap in the market. I want to get on board with this. How do they get in touch? What does that situation look like? Yeah. So the interesting thing is when we started, me and my business partner, we, we ran a pretty strong owner operator style model, Mm -hmm. but it was because it was the two of us doing everything. Yeah. Um, now we have a big, big team, um, that represents the brand and the deals we're seeing now are truly those investor type people that are looking to take down areas three to five to even 10 units and build a team underneath them. And you know, it's funny, we go back to the the management side of things. It always blows me away listening to these very smart individuals talk of how they will build a team underneath them using our systems. So I think like the biggest opportunity that we're seeing now is we're definitely seeing not absentee investors, but very um, aggressive and creative investors that see there's an opportunity in the market and they're looking to go put a put a stamp in an area. So all of our franchising efforts are usually run through the website. We have a we have a form there. So it's just metabolic.com and 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 we'll we will get you in touch with the right people on the sales team. And the thing that's kind of cool is, and I still hold this kind of dear to my heart is if you, if you pass that first kind of sales call, meaning our sales team has identified and says, you know, this person or, or group or individual seems like they would be a great fit for our team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm the second phone call yeah, because I, I still, I still like to, I, right now it's virtually shake everybody's hand. Yep. Um, but I like to know who's going to be on my team. So, yeah. um, I still love taking that call. And that's one of the things that I've seen in franchising as well is that there there are there are two distinct types of franchise. There's the franchise that will sell to you if you have the funds and there's the franchise that will vet you and make sure that you're their kind of person. So you're doing due diligence on each other. You're learning about whether it, you know, I talk about a lot about, uh, if you want to look at it this way, that first model is logic. Can you afford it? Like, can I logically see that you can afford to pay for this? Yes. Well, what about the feeling? Feeling and intuition in business is something that's very hard to to put your finger on. But you and I know when you have a conversation with somebody, you know if you resonate with them, you know if you go, this is someone that we really want to be doing work with and we want to we want to share our brand with. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's really powerful. So I'll leave the links in the description below so that people can get in touch. I, I would highly encourage people to do so. Not just US-based investors, because I'm aware there's a lot of you listening to this from Southeast Asia as well. If you're looking at US investments right now, I would 
definitely, definitely have a chat with Brandon and his team because they have identified something amazing here. Um, right now, it's North America. I, I like to say today, North America, tomorrow, world domination. I'm absolutely certain of that. Um, you know, let's uh, let's get that market sorted first and then move on. But anybody who is looking at that, this is this is a, a really phenomenal conversation for you to be having. So, um, Brandon, thank you so much for being here, brother. Uh, I'm sure people have, have taken a lot away from the conversation. Uh, you mentioned it before about turning people on and turning people off. There'll be some people that have listened to this that have gone, nope, disagree with him. And that's cool. Off they go in their way. But if you're one of those people who's resonating hard with this right now, before you do anything else, before you go grab yourself a coffee, you know, pull over the car, get into the show notes below, click on that link and go and book your call in with Brandon and the team. And uh, it'll be well worth it, I assure you. Well, thanks so much, Phil. I appreciate it. You're most welcome, brother. Guys, take care of yourselves until next time. Really hope you've enjoyed this. Please feel free to feel, yeah, put my teeth in. Please feel free to like, share, and subscribe. Definitely share this out on LinkedIn. Brandon and I are both on LinkedIn, so I will include our details in the show notes below. Connect, come say hi. Whether you agree, disagree, go share it. Let your network know, and let's have a discussion. Until next time, we'll see you then. This is Billionaires in Boxes, attracting our tribe with our vibe.